This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of The Crowcast. And I'm joined by Graham, all the way from Huddersfield in Yorkshire. Thanks for joining us, Graham. Tell me, how did you get into Status Quo? Okay, well, I was about 14 years old, and there was a local disco nearby where we lived. And um, my parents let us go. They were quite strict parents, so let us go. And it was a lot of disco stuff music played but every now and then within during the evening they will play some rock so it was the mystery song the single version of the mystery song i now know that was played and all the bigger boys got up and were really headbanging so we got involved you know and uh, they played that repeatedly uh, you know week on week so we sort of headbanged to that and i thought you know that's really good so i dug a bit deeper and then i found a um in a, in a record shop, I know those things are uh, a rarity these days, I found an ex-Jubebot version of Rocking All Over the World single with a hole out of the middle. So I bought that and my interest grew and grew. And then at 15-year-old, for Christmas, I was asked what I wanted. And in those days, I had a cassette player, cassette recorder. So my parents bought me on the level, on cassette, Rocking all over the world on cassette. And um, if you can't stand the heat on cassette, my interest grew and grew. And then in 1981, uh, I had a little bit of money and got the opportunity to go and see them live, the Frantic Four lineup uh, at Manchester Apollo. And they're never too late to her. They've got a concert programme too uh, as a souvenir of that. But uh, I remember tickets were six pounds. You know, the, the price on the ticket was six pounds. But we paid, now my friends paid 12 pounds each for a six pounds ticket. And you know what? We went to that gig and we were stood at the rig side of the stage. I can remember getting there. The seats were in, so we stood where the seat was. And I can't remember a thing about it. <laughs> Not one thing. I was so, so, so pent up about it all. But what an experience, you know, we were young kids in and amongst big men, you know. That's how I got into it. And my friends' interest waned over the years, but I've really been committed to them since since the early days, really. Well, judging by the email uh, that you sent me, where you basically listed a list of all the things that you've done Quo-related and then said, I'm not an anorak. No, I'm not an anorak. I'm really not. I'm not. I'm not. I just decided to that I like them. I like what they stood for and how they were. And I know there's stories about drugs and everything, but I just thought they were decent guys. They were presentable to my parents. <laughs> and so I could get away with that, you know. So I know we've got an old family photograph with the um, what you're proposing, me holding a what you're proposing single, with my hair down here. Um, with the old-fashioned music centre. You know, the, you might not be old enough, Jamie, but, but I used to be able to go into the other room with my headphones bins on and listen to stuff, and uh, and it was acceptable. When punk was all the rage, it wouldn't have been acceptable, nor did I like it. So that's why I got into them. And to be quite honest, I've stayed with them because I like them. It's not been a passing fad for me, so... That's 40 plus years ago now <laughs> that I started that journey. 
So how was your kind of uh, thoughts on when the original band kind of broke up in 85 and then obviously the two guys came on after that? What was your opinion of that? Rossi and Parfit carried on uh, with Andy Bowne, of course. Andy stayed with them. Yeah, to be quite honest, I was I was thrilled to see them at Live Aid. Um, thrilled and so ever so proud. And everything looked tickety-boo there. They looked friendly and and so on and so forth. I remember, Jamie, there weren't the information out there that there is now. All you'd get would be a snippet in a newspaper. Um, you know, a small snippet saying, first of all, it was... Uh, John Coglin left, and I think the little headline in the mirror of the Express was leaving the status quo. So John Coglin had left, and uh, and they brought Pete Kircher in, and they made a big thing about Pete, and he was involved in the NEC gig with Prince Charles and Lady Diana, and they brought a new album out with him. And to be quite, in 1982 that was, 1, point, 1 plus 9 plus 8 plus 2 equals 20. And way to celebrate the anniversary, isn't it? 20 years. So I could sort of stomach uh, John Coglin going. He was always portrayed as being a bit grouchy, really, in those days. And I think drink and drugs had got the better of all of them, really. So I was sorry because it stayed together for 20 years um, since real foot before Rick joined, but 20 years Lancaster, Coglin and Rossi. So I was sad about that. But to be quite honest, I was just about to get married. So I had bigger things on my mind at the time, you know. Uh, so I'm sorry, but um, in 85. But in 82, I went to Donington. And they were headlining Donington there, the Monsters of Rock gig, along with Hawkwind, Uriah Heap, Saxon Gillen. Um, yeah, those, those lot. And I remember getting a T-shirt for that. Now, it long since fitted me, of course, but I've still got that. I was happy with Pete Kircher. I thought he did a sterling job. He was older than the rest of them, but we weren't to know what was going on between Rossi and, and Alan Lancaster. You know, they were formative people in the band, but there is a little bit of bickering goes on, and you could see that at the reunion a little bit, really. And I think drugs, drugs had got the better of them, and ego and all of that. So I was very disappointed, but as I say, I was getting married. I had, uh, I was 21 then, so I had uh, other interests, really, at the time. So, yeah, I was disappointed, really disappointed, but what can you do, you know? I was pleased when they reformed, and the first thing I learned about, again, there weren't the information out there. The only real way to get information was if you were in the fan club, which I was around 1980 for a couple of years. Um, but uh, not that. I saw somebody with a T-shirt on saying Quo's back, and it was the In the Army Now tour that they did with uh, Queen. So I thought, well, I wonder if they've reformed then. So anyway, I, I thought about it a bit and didn't. I hadn't bought an album. The last album I bought as a, as a youngster was uh, Back to Back. Have you seen that, Jamie? It's like two juggernauts uh, back to back and uh, side to side, should I say. And it was okay. There's some good rocking tracks on that. And I bought everything up to that point. But again, then I sort of just had a few years off a bit, really. Not ditching them, just other things to be involved with. 
So, um, yeah, I was disappointed. I really disappointed, but a little bit distracted, to be quite honest. My next dalliance was a couple of years into marriage. I bought um, Ain't Complaining. You know, they're all sat around in a studio on the front with the new band. So it was a second album in the new band era with Rhino and uh, Jeff. And I liked that. thought that were really good. Again, on cassette, so... I'd listen to that on my walk, but, uh, you know. And, uh, yeah, I really liked that album. And then the next time I saw them was at um, Sheffield Arena, and it was a Rock Till You Drop album, uh, album promotion tour. So I saw them then, but from then I sort of went back and bought the uh, cassettes that I hadn't bought. And then from 1993 onwards, it was CD Land, weren't it? CDs were out around 93, so I systematically bought everything new, like Thirsty Work. Um, and I think, yeah, Thirsty Work onwards I bought on CD. But we went to the NEC. We were somewhere back there. Uh, sorry, not the NEC, Sheffield Arena. We were somewhere back, but they were brilliant. But my uh, wife at the time hated it, so that spoiled it a little bit, you know. And then in 1993, I'd got wind that Nick and Francis were turning on the, the illuminations at Blackpool Lights. So we went there and got myself in a position. They were staying in a hotel right next door to the podium for the big switch on. Got myself positioned there, so I shook their hands as they went by. Uh, thank you for 30 marvellous years and all this. My friends that were with me weren't poor fans, but Took the rip out of me, really, for that. Works for 30 marvellous years, which it was then, in 93. I mean, it weren't 30 for Rick. It was 30 for the origins of status quo in 1992. What a moment that must have been. Yeah, it really was. That was my first meeting of the band, really. And then through the 90s, got divorced and remarried and so on. Luckily, my new wife is a, is a, a, a Quo fan. She likes the new stuff and not the old stuff. So my next meeting of the band was in 2004 and it was the it was a book signing I went on got the book signed I had my photograph taken with them I was uh, working at Leeds City Council and they came to a uh, Waterstones near the office it was Rick on one side looking very much like Richard Gear I thought Richard Gear in his sort of older years and Francis and you know what they were just lovely Francis were tickling me back. The lady that took the photo in the shop dropped my head off. What I wanted to say as well, Jamie, in the 80s and 90s, I used to do very well collecting record shop displays. You know, so I got um, 1 plus 9 plus 8 plus 2, a record display. So that's the band in, like, these bomber jackets on, like, a, um, a three-fold thing with one plus nine plus eight plus two on the top of uh, linking it like a, a linking board. And then one for from the makers of it. It was the greatest hits back in the early 80s, and it was sold in cassette and in a metal disc, three-disc three, three disc collection, greatest hits. So I got that as well. They're under our bed. Hopefully they've not been eaten by moths. But they're under our bed in a safe place. Uh, so I was collecting record displays and anything rare that I could 
uh, during the 80s and 90s as the time went on. So, see, so I met Rick and Francis, got my book signed, uh, had a photograph taken. That was momentous for me. You can well imagine, can't you? Really momentous, you know, your heroes. And by that time, in 93, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> well, 28-ish. Sorry, 04 when, I, when we had that. So I would be nearly 40. I'd be 39. There's quite a queue for people buying the book. You know, still a lot. Uh, a lot of Quo fans are uh, very interested. And then the next thing for us, me and our eldest daughter, Hannah, went to Rick's comeback gig. You know, he'd had throat cancer, came back and did a gig at the NEC called uh, Just Doing It To Her. And I've got the box set of that. Before the release of this, they asked anybody that had got photographs from the gig to upload them. So we did. I didn't want to upload one of my daughter because I was a bit um, doubtful about security of her, of her image. So I took a picture of a little lad with cross guitars and we bought Hannah a T-shirt saying Quo Junior on it. Now that won't fit her because she was about eight at the time. Yeah, so I got that and we had that picture uploaded in 04, sorry, 06. And that was momentous, getting the picture on. You felt as though you got close to the band. And they weren't just doing it as a stunt. They actually put your pictures on, which was excellent. And then I saw them on the In Search of the Fourth Chord tour. Yeah, so that was a good gig. Got a, And every gig since then, I bought a T-shirt. So I've seen them every year since then, really. Oh, then we saw them in Halifax and waited at the stage door there after the gig and shook hands with Rick as well there and Rhino, and Francis, and then they were straight onto the coach and off. You know, they, uh, they have a fleet of uh, green, metallic green coaches called Neoplan coaches, double-decker luxury things. So they were onto the coach and off there, but that was wonderful uh, after that. And then in 2012, I saw them at the reunion gig, Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that'd be 20, 2013, yeah? Oh, 13, sorry, yeah. 13. I went at about 11 o'clock and hung out with Quo fans. And uh, it was really good. Mid-afternoon, John Coggle and Alan Lancaster arrived on another coach with their respective wives. And the, uh, the staff at Manchester Apollo said, just be careful because Alan is very fragile. He'd had some illness or something, you know, and he really was fragile. But we were able to talk to both Alan and John as they arrived at the venue as well and took some photographs. And um, and the meet and greet was really good. The, gate, the Live Nation were organising it, so they, um, they had a gift pack. It was like 250 quid in total. You know, you pay 50-odd pound for your ticket and 200 quid for the meet and greet. But there really were limited numbers available. So the wife had said, just do it, Graham. Do it, do it, do it. So I pressed and I went in for the meet and greet. So at 4 o'clock that day, we were instructed to go in and queue outside and they were sound-checking Caroline. They didn't play Caroline as part of that 2013 set, but they were sound-checking it. 
And then we went in and we were allowed to take one item for signing. They'd given us the gift pack anyway, which included a lanyard, a status quo watch with all the band listed out. Really good stuff, you know. But I decided to take my pile driver album for signing. So first, you went round twice, really. First thing was you got your item signed, then you queued again and got your photo taken. I took Pile Driver and I also got it signed by Bob Young outside. I carried this with me in a carry bag for ages. But... So that was the Frantic Four thing. The other one I think I wanted to mention about the Frantic Four. If you've seen the box set there, the Blu ray version of the, the entire gig, there's loads of additional videos. Yeah. We were sat outside in the afternoon. And a guy came by with a huge camera on his shoulders here and said, do you want to say a bit for the gig? It's probably going to go on the DVD or the Blu-ray. So um, he interviewed me for about 20 minutes, all about what it means when I first saw him, because it was almost 30 years to the day that I saw him there, and they're never too late to her. So I was able to talk about that, you know, what it meant. So I feature four or five times in the extras as well. <laughs> How good is that, Jamie? Right there. So I did that and I've not... Oh, yes, I did. I saw them in 2014 at Leeds Arena and it was the um, status going concert tour. It's probably like one of the last times Rick played in the UK and I had a front row seat there. But, you know, as the audiences have got older, me included, the atmosphere's got a bit downhill, really. It's like somebody going to a recital almost. Everybody sits quietly. Uh, a little bit of excitement, but you can feel from the 1981 days, for me, to the 2014, the band are probably better. The sound, the production, the musicality, the musicianship is better these days. But because the audience have got older and there's a lot of people that just go to say they're going and not really fans, you know. So, unfortunately, it's lost a little bit along the way and I'm sure the band feel that. Moving on then, uh, I've started to um, make relationships with, people, with the band and associate people on Twitter. And uh, I've developed quite a good relationship with John Coughlin and Rick Parfit Jr., on uh, on uh, uh, Twitter. Now, with Rick Parfit Jr., it doesn't do any good to go on about his dad a lot. Just occasionally might touch on it. But you know what? He's such a grand lad, is Rick Parfit Jr. You know, he's just a grand lad. He's just ordinary and nice. No airs and no, airs and no delusions of grandeur. He's just a really good lad. So I've had a few lengthy conversations with him. And also with John Coughlin as well, who's quite jokey and funny about various things, you know. I would like to go and see John Coughlin's quote. I recently bought the lockdown on single. That's excellent. Have you heard that? Yes, I have. Lockdown. Yeah. Really good. The old diehard quote says the old, the quote of old, you know, but... Uh, I mean, it weren't cheap for a two-track CD. Six quid delivered. <laughs> you know, it's a lot, but honestly, it was worth it. 
and I bought the Rock for Rick stuff. And I'm very grateful to a band called Massive Wagons. Have you heard of them? Yes. They do a tribute to Rick called Back to the Stack. So I bought all of those to support the various charities. And also, it's like memorabilia of Rick, you know. Um, I'm thrilled that Rich has joined. He's a good lad, is Richie again. And he's doing a fabulous job. I know people say he's not Rick. Well, clearly he's not Rick. Rick, unfortunately, has been gone now four and a bit years. Uh, but I think he's doing a really good job. And Backbone is an excellent album, I think. Production-wise, still a lot of the old, um, you know, the core character about it. But I've been to see Rhino a few times as well. You know, Rhino has been doing his own albums and... Mm -hmm. uh, I went to see Rhino in 2015, saw him at Bolton. That's where I work, by the way, in Bolton. Even though I live in Huddersfield. And I managed to get in there before the doors opened. I just got in. And I knew that, you know, he's known as Rhino the Wino. So I said, all right, uh, John, can I buy you a drink? He said, oh, yes, please, a... Uh, uh, a small red wine. So I gave him that, thrilled, and he said, thank you, sir. But I was able to meet his sons as well. The Rhinos family, fabulous to know. Um, and that was a really good gig. And then I saw him again in 2018 at Keithley in West Yorkshire. And you know what? There I got on stage with him and sang Paper Plane. Wow. He said, does anybody... Uh, no, basically, he was talking about various things. Uh, what football team do you support? Well, I know that he supports Brentford. He's a big fan of Brentford, so I shouted out, and he liked that. Shouted something else out, he liked that. He said, we're going to do a status quo statement now. Um, does anybody want to come and join us? And before I knew where I was, remember, I'm a professional person. <laughs> My arm was up like this, and I were on stage with my own microphone, murdering paper plates. <laughs> I couldn't even remember the words, really. I should have known them, but in a second, I was just on stage, you know, Jamie, <laughs> and singing paper playing with them. And, um, yeah, it was great. And he was pleased. He pat me on the back and uh, said that he'd done a great job. And then after the gig, I seemed to monopolise him. You know, he always referred to Rick Parfit as the Reverend Rock. I don't know if you've ever seen the old tour logs, Rhino's tour logs. So it was basically his log of the tours. I've, I've downloaded all of those. I've got them in a file. Um, something like 300, um, yeah, three or 400 megabytes, just of screenshot. So he's referred to Rick as the Reverend Rock. Um, and he signed my T-shirt to the Reverend Graham, <laughs> which was lovely. And he was just really nice. And he let me into uh, a few secrets, which I'm not going to say because the secrets, but we discussed how things were and how things are with, uh, you know, um, with Richie. You know, people tell you stuff. I know RPJ has told me a few things as well and not to tell anybody, which I haven't done. You've got to be good. You've got to be true, haven't you? You can't start giving it this just for a bit of glory. So I had a long chat with Rhino about various things. And at that gig, to, um, oh, I can't remember his first name. Rhino. 
Mike Harano. Mike Harano, yes. He used to be the Quartua merchandise manager, Mike Harano. And um, I got talking to him because he's Rhino's merch manager now. He is. Status Quo use another company, merchandising company. There must be more money in it. So um, I bought my friend, um, Save the Rhino badges for him to keep. And I bought a T-shirt. And I was already wearing the Rhino uh, tour T-shirt from 2015. It just shows willing, doesn't it? But I do like Rhino again. He's a good lad. He's honest. I know the Alan Lancaster fans have uh, crucified him in the past. And I've got to say that he's been in the band longer than Alan Lancaster. Uh, and he's been honest and true and straightforward. He's taken the flack. He's played second fiddle to Rick and Francis in a very big way. Because remember when Rick was in, it was all about them too. And when they got their OBEs, the Queen said, oh, you're a duo, aren't you? Well, they're not a duo, they're a band. And I think they said, yes, we are a duo, but they're not a duo. So now, these days, uh, I think uh, Rhino's gone on record as saying, we are much more of a band now than we've ever been. Yeah, Rhino had writing credits, Andy Bowne had writing credits, but now they get to sing. Rhino murders Rain, of course, live, and he says he murders it. There's some good stuff of Rhino's online, you know, during lockdown. His, his daughter, May, um, who was a young girl, was really defensive of her dad as the uh, horrible element of Quo launched into Rhino. She was so defensive and it really upset her. It's not his fault. He's come in. He was asked to join the band. He had nothing to do with Alan leaving. And he's been really pleasant with Alan as well. And he encouraged the Frantic Four reunion. Did Rhino, you know? He encouraged that. Uh, he said it's like a turkey voting for Christmas, of course, because... Uh, you know, if they decided they were going to make a go of it, that leaves me and uh, the drummer out in the cold, you know. Uh, Leon, who's the current drummer, he's a thoroughly decent chap. I've had many conversations with him on Twitter as well. Twitter's excellent because it gets you close without being a stalker, <laughs> without sat outside the house with a pizza and a box of donuts, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, can you see my enthusiasm for the band? It's still here all these years on. I know, and it's it's amazing to see. And I've been doing this podcast for about two years now, and I never tire of seeing the enthusiasm of fans uh, who've been with them, you know, for decades, and even fans who discovered them last week. Uh, it's utterly amazing to see. But if you kind of had to pinpoint a moment that really sticks out to you as like the moment you know, the one thing, what what would that be? That's no disrespect to Rhino and the drummers, all the Mitchell and John, Rick and Francis, out of that photograph. Having this, especially, you know, just because it's how it all began, really. You know, uh, with that band, you know, uh, it's a golden era, really. And that's no disrespect to the others. Uh, it is the golden era. So, to get the opportunity to go because I bought my ticket first, 53 quid for the ticket. And I just said to my wife, man, oh, golly, on the website, they're making these meet and greet tickets available. 
And I got the screen up and she just whispered in my ear, do it, do it, do it, do it. So I click on it and I was there now. Uh, I think there's about 30 people at each meet and greet. So that's a real thing, isn't it? You know, and the gig that they added to the tour a bit, really. I think the first uh, dates was only about five dates and this Manchester was in that. And then they added others to it. I think they might have added a, a Manchester before that. But, uh, yeah, that's a seminal moment, really. Meeting the band, chatting with them. I said, gosh, Alan, you've got a real Australian accent, haven't you? You know, you think you were born there. He said, yeah, but... And I said, I know. <laughs> I know. You're going to tell me he lives in Australia. And I said, I know. Since about 1980-odd. And you know what? As they walked, they walked into the gig, when we met them the first time off the coaches, their wives were with them and Alan's son, David, was with them as well. And it was just lovely to see, but Alan was uh, quite lame, really. His legs were like stiff as he was walking. And his movement on stage was really um, rigid, you know, but they did a great job. The only thing I'd say about the gig, you know, when the light, when the light, they have those white marshals, don't they? Have you seen those white marshals? Well, I think they'd hired a load in for these gigs because I think they're off to Australia straight after. So I think the white marshals and all that had been shipped ahead to uh, to Australia. So they were using these um, uh, these older things. And if I'm truthful, the sound was a bit off. It was heavily based, heavily based. But we didn't care because they were playing all of those songs that you never see played. They were playing them well. Alan was singing Roadhouse Blues uh, and the other stuff that, um, what did he sing? Junie's Wailing. All of the stuff that he traditionally sang on live were on that, you know. And, um, yeah, it was fabulous. They didn't do the full versions, though, of either 4,500 times, which is about 17 minutes, or Roadhouse Blues with all the jamming in. They would cut to about five minutes each. But even so, it was just marvellous, really. But to meet the Frantic Four was just something else, Jamie, I can tell you. It was something else. I were all of a diver, <laughs> to be quite honest. I can understand that, and I went to the Hammersmith 2013, one of those gigs, and the amount of emotion in that room was uh, was amazing. Yeah, yeah, you don't forget that noise. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you definitely don't. So, in terms of albums, do you have a Quo album that you kind of pick over the rest of them? Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, it was Quo Alive for a long time. And I've only recently bought that on CD. I've had it on um, cassette. I remember getting that as a Christmas present, and it was just the big thing. So Quill Live is very good. Never Too Late is a very good album. Um, yeah, Never Too Late. Blue For You For Me. Pile Driver. Uh, and then Coming Into The New Era. Harder to pick a new era one. I like Batman. In fact, the last three or four have been really good for heavy traffic. Excellent. Right, search of the fourth chord. Excellent. Quid pro quo. First class. And this one. I think, you know, the first album I heard 
I borrowed my friend's brother's Blue For You. Blue For You. And I first heard the uh, album version of Mystery Song, you know, where there's that long intro, see a look on your face and all that stuff. So, and that was just magical. That was the first album I heard. And, uh, and I love tracks on there, like Ring of a Change and things like that, you know. So probably, probably, studio album, Blue For You, live album, Poor Live. But that's not dissing any of the others. It's not dissing any of the others. Um, but as I say, I bought, I just bought a few CDs that I've not had. I bought, what did I buy? On the Level, I bought recently. Quo Live, I bought recently. Um, yeah, those two. And Pile Driver on CD, I bought recently. Pile Driver's an excellent album. But if you're asking me to name, I think for me, it's Blue For You. The Levi Strauss sponsorship and all that, you know. Yeah. Um, I should point out, because I'm sure there will be fans shouting at their uh, podcast players right now, that in between Heavy Traffic and In Search of the Fourth Chord was the Party album. The yeah, party there was. I've deliberately, I've deliberately not mentioned that, you know. The Party <laughs> ain't over yet. I like the video with the biplanes. Have you seen that? Yeah, I bought a set. I bought the single of the, the party in there, and it came as a two CD with the video on one and all of that. So yeah, I know there is, but I don't. Which is Bella Vista Man on? Is that on that? That's on the party in over yet. Yeah. Okay, I'll include that then because Rhino plays that live. Bella Vista Man. Some of the Rhino Rick Parfit compositions are really good, and then Rick Parfit went off with Wayne Morris and did songwriting. And there's that video on YouTube, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I think it's a gig in Germany. And uh, and they, they bring Rick Parfit on, playing playing um, Caroline, I think it is. So he was big buddies with Wayne Morris for a while, but I don't think Rhino rates that era, really. Um, but then Rick and, France, Rick and Rhino did Lucinda. Now, that's a proper rocker, Lucinda. I don't know if you've heard that. It's proper, proper rocker, you know. The other thing, oh, I saw him in St. Anne's as well in 2011. They did live in prom there. Now, they arrived a day or two late, uh, sorry, early for the gig. And we'd, gone, we'd booked tickets to go, and we were staying in a lovely hotel almost directly opposite the local sports centre. And they arrived a couple of days later and these near-plan coaches were parked outside and plugged into the mains of the sports centre. Now, I know that they're core coaches. So I went down one evening and bumped into Andy Bowne. I had half an hour chat with Andy about being a fan for so long. He said, oh, yeah, you've been with us a while, then. Said, yeah, I have Andy, yeah. Just talking about this and that. So that was on the evening before the gig. On the morning of the gig, I went down again. I was like a, 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 a bear with an itch, you know, wanted to. So I went down about nine o'clock and out one of the coaches, Rick came, looking decidedly rough, I must say. I don't know if he'd been uh, partaking the night before. He'd got some Abercrombie and Fitch jogging bottoms on. I don't know if he'd slept in those. 
and um, and a t-shirt, a raggy t-shirt. And he'd come out, and basically there were the coaches. Then there was a fleet of Range Rovers, which were support vehicles, you know. And um, one of the backing, one of the PAs, a lady called uh, Leanne, Lianne, L-Y-A-N-N-E. And she'd come out with Rick out the coach. They got Range Rover back up, and I think Rick was getting something out. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to trouble you, Rick. I just wanted to say hi. And he um, and it was very warm, actually. I think he was still a bit groggy from sleep. But I shook his hand and wished him all the best. And uh, when he gave me his hand, it was his guitar hand, and he gave me his hand like that, closed. So I just shook his hand and take care, and I were on my way, but thrilled all the same, you know. Well, these are all unique experiences, aren't they? That was in 2011. Um, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> well, Graham, I, I don't know what to say now. I mean, thank you for um, sharing your story uh, and you. all of these experiences. Um, this is what this podcast is for. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Graham, for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Just before you go, these were my notes. <laughs> so I didn't forget anything. Thank you, Jamie. Nice to know. Nice to speak with you. And long may this continue. You're doing a fabulous job. A fabulous job. Well done. Hopefully you'll get some sponsorship. <laughs> One day. <laughs> Take care anyway. Thank you.